Hi and welcome to another ECFR podcast, Voices on Ukraine, Voices of Ukraine. Today we are with Francisco de Borja Laceras, who has recently been to Ukraine and meeting uh, civil society members. And we are asking him for the public opinion and from the international perspective, the key element in Ukraine is the conflict in the East. But what about the reforms that are much needed in the country? What kind of reforms does the country need? Yeah, the, the, the truth is that there are there are actually two conflicts in Ukraine. Uh, one is the um, one is the military conflict in the east, and also not to forget the continuing annexation of Crimea. But the the other conflict, and often overlooked both by experts and in our European analysis of Ukraine, is the the conflict against itself. That is the conflict against those structural challenges such as the massive political influence of oligarchs and a culture of corruption, clientelism and overall lack of rule of law which hamper Ukraine's huge potential as a European country. So this is actually the 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 other war in Ukraine which is gaining some momentum in Kiev. And in this regard um If there are three priority areas for reforms, in my opinion, and based on, on, on the meetings there and the perspectives that I that I came in touch with, will be one, uh, corruption, two, um, rule of law, and third, the, the economic aspect. And all of them are intertwined. Corruption is the... Uh, In, by the you know by the average Ukrainian citizen is often the most referred source of uh, discontent. It's a country that ranks 142 in transparency transparency international's corruption perceptions index. It's endemic, and part of the problem lies in the fact that um, lies in the fact that um, civil servants are really poorly paid. So in a way, uh, bribes are common in, in the culture because many of these people cannot make en ends meet. So this is why some of the reforms, including um, reforms of, uh, you know, lustration of police, etc., uh, include elements of uh, raising the salaries so that resorting to, to bribes is no longer necessary. But talking, talking about corruption entails talking about uh, you know, guaranteeing the rule of law per European and international standards. And the trouble is that both the judiciary and the police are perceived as the most corrupted bodies in Ukraine. And to this, you need to bear in mind a profound mistrust in the state institutions, which has been enhanced after the violent repression of Maidan um, because of the role played by, by elements in the judiciary and by elements in the Ministry of Interior. So two, um, to guarantee the rule of law, you need to reform the judiciary and you need to reform uh, police and overall the security sector. There are proposals on the table uh, by this government, but the perception is that they're not going forward as, as fast as, as they should. And secondly, that they're being torpedoed by, by elements in these bodies. And in this regard, and I'm concluding, Um, you can do either a full lustration of police and judiciary, meaning sucking a high percentage of the of the members of the judiciary and and police and also the uh, prosecutor prosecutorial body, 
or you can do a gradual lustration. And there are proposals on the table, but at this point, uh, they're not going forward as fast as they should. So we can only hope that uh, this momentum of reforms that, that it is currently undergoing in, in Ukraine doesn't stop. During the Biden protests, the Ukrainian civil society bloomed across the country. To what extent is civil society participating in, in the reforms in Ukraine? This is to me, uh, and having, having lived and worked in other transitioning countries in, in Southeast Europe, chiefly the Balkans, this is to me one of the most fascinating aspects of uh, post-Maidan Ukraine, that is, the role of civil society organizations in the reform process. And not only the reform process, but also in other elements, such as the assistance to, to internally displaced persons. That role is um, systematic and it's um, directly tied to the, to the reform process in the institutions. Because I have to underline that the change still potential in Ukraine is not that much in terms of political parties, but rather a generational change. Meaning we're talking about people in you know, 20s, 30s, and mo at most early 40s, really good professional background, and being part of the some of them new voices in parliament, and some of them are working in, in civil society. In this regard, I have to underline the role of um, the so-called reanimation um, reforms package, which is a multi-layered um, multi reform initiative encompassing uh, groups that work, for instance, on corruption, other that works on the reform of the um, Office of the General Prosecutor, other groups that work in the judiciary, and they're actually tabling, tabling proposals in Parliament. And some of these voices have moved from being activists to being members of Parliament. The trouble is, and this is the, the awakening political realism, that they have to do politics with members of the old guard. Uh, members of the of the previous system, not only Yanukovych, but generally, you know, uh, the vested interests that hamper Ukraine's modernization uh, potential. So that role of, of of civil society is key. I have to say it's uh, way uh, way you know more um, intense and more systematic than actually some countries that are EU candidate countries. And this is a message, I think, and a lesson learned for, for European policy. In order to focus on the reforms, Ukraine needs to address what is happening on the East. Uh, do you think the Minsk agreements are working? I mean, when it comes to the uh, provisions on ceasefire and the withdrawal of heavy weaponry, and not to mention the, well, the security aspects of, of of the of the you know so-called package of of measures regarding implementation of Minsk, um, I don't think we can be very optimistic because ceasefire violations are happening daily, and in we are now seeing moves near Mariupol, and there is a certain or at, at least as confirmed by the OSCE, there's a certain withdrawal of heavy weaponry, but sometimes it's not as clear whether it's a true withdrawal or just uh, maneuvering um, weapon movement. So um, there is, you know, when it comes to the security measures, 
I don't think we can be very positive. Certainly, the level of violence has decreased com in the, you know compared to the stage prior to to the to the February agreement. But at this point, and unless there's a change of strategy uh, in in Moscow, we can expect an, an escalation of violence and. And particularly around Mariupol, but not only. Now, there's the, there are the other message, measures that were provided for in in Minsk, which pertain to constitutional reform in Ukraine and the so-called elements of a political settlement. So, in this regard, the 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 process of constitutional reform it's slowly starting, but it will not only include decentralization as provided for in Minsk, it, it has also to tackle uh, judicial reform and other measures. Um, we need to be realistic that this is a long process and that it goes beyond the conflict of Ukraine. It regards the, the very governance and reform of, of the Ukrainian state. And and the challenge will be to, to, to carry out a constitutional reform that still uh, guarantees the sovereignty over over those territories in in the hands of the so-called rebels, and and actually that doesn't that doesn't legitimize uh, Moscow's strategy in the east, let alone the recognition of of Crimea as a fait accompli.